You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Michael Backus, and he is Chief Product Officer and Co-Founder at Perfect. He is also the author of Cannabis Pharmacy, which has a new edition coming out. We're going to learn about that. Excited for this conversation. I love talking with folks in this industry who have some background in research, have some real deep knowledge of the plant and really what it's capable of and, and what it's not capable of. So I'm excited for the conversation. I'm very curious to hear about Michael's background, his knowledge, what he's doing with Perfect. With that, Michael, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks so much, Bruce. So why don't we talk a little bit about, well, let's learn about you first, kind of your, your background professionally and hear about how you got into cannabis. And then we'll talk about the business. We'll talk about the book and get into uh, cannabis and talk about the plant and how you know it, what you see its powers are, how you see this industry playing out. But let's get to know you first a little bit to get started. Great. Well, I, uh, I came into this uh, kind of through the side door. I had a kind of headache, a kind of migraine headache that uh, wasn't responding to uh, conventional medication. My neurologist recommended that I try cannabis for it. I hadn't used cannabis since college. And yeah, interesting. When I when I went, got my card in California, medical card, and, and went to a dispensary, they couldn't answer any questions uh, that I had. I mean, none <laughs> yeah. at yeah. all. I mean, it was really like it was a consumer experience that I'd never yeah, had. Yeah, it's kind of mind blowing. And um, and so I just dove into it, and I'd worked with the author Michael Crichton for a long time, and had done a lot of research for him, and had gotten pretty adept research. And um, and so I started to research the plant and just became fascinated with it and kind of became even more fascinated with the fact that a lot of what the trajectories in the 19th century to understand the plant had been derailed mm. uh, with prohibition. and But that a few people in Europe had kind of, you know, picked up the torch and and started to research the plant again in the, uh, in the 90s. And then this was all new information, not only to me, but to a lot of people in California. And so I got deeply, deeply interested in the plant and, um, and ended up starting a dispensary in um, 2006 in California and really, really got into it and have learned a lot, have been involved in, in things like uh, uh, cannabis um, analytics and breeding and just understanding the plant. So, yeah. I'm curious, when you say you, you got into it, is this uh, reading the research? Is this going and visiting farms? Is this, you know, in the lab, like looking at specimens? Like, how did you actually get, quote unquote, get to know the plant? Well, I mean, at first, you know, I, uh, I went... Uh, I went north in California yeah. to the Emerald Triangle and, and visited farms and started to look at the plant and started to ask questions and tried to differentiate 
you know, wh- what's out there, what's being grown, why is it being grown? Yeah. And then, then the next logical question was, well, what's in the plant that explains these differences that people are mm. reporting? Yep. And then started to kind of reach out on the internet to people like Robert Connell Clark, who had written the book Marijuana Botany back in the 1970s yeah. and ended up becoming friends. And I edited his book that he wrote with uh, Dr. Mark Merlin called uh, Cannabis Evolution Ethnobotany. And uh, that was a University of California press book. And um, met Ethan Russo, who was the first guy to publish about terpene effects as part of the this chemical entourage yeah, that the cannabis plant produces. Mm-hmm. And, um, and just got deeper and deeper and deeper because I was just trying to explain the differences that my customers at my dispensary noted about different strains of the plant and, and how they work for them. And it um, seems like so much of this industry is sort of anecdotal or, you know, use-based, results-based, not sort of scientific-based. I mean, what did you notice in terms of similarities between the data you were gathering from your dispensary customers, you know, the, the feedback you were getting from folks on, you know, what the effects were, what the impact of, of different types of products and different, you know, cultivars and stuff were having on folks, and, and the research you were doing in terms of, you know, really understanding the sort of the chemical and the biological aspects of the plant. Where, what was matching up? What wasn't matching up? What were the big kind of things? that you were noticing there? Well, I mean, the big thing is, is that, you know, designations like sativa and indica <laughs> yeah. were essentially meaningless. Yeah. That when you start to take the plan into the lab and, you know, test it through uh, chromatography and figure out what's in it, mm-hmm. you start to see that the, the, the plant genetically is kind of hardwired. Each variety is hardwired to produce certain chemistry. And that a portion of that chemistry is responsible for its effects. And people have a tendency to get lost in the weed because, you know, when you hear people talk about the plant, they go, oh, you know, cannabis produces, insert the latest number, 200 cannabinoids, you know, 100 terpenes, et cetera, et cetera. But only a portion of those um, are actually responsible for the pharmacological effects of cannabis. And and there's a lot of misinformation. So, like, if if you look up cannabis terpenes, you'll always see these charts of, it's any inflammatory, any fungal, any, you know, all these things. But the truth is, you know, antifungal. Okay, that's the best one because nobody is using cannabis in any form for its antifungal properties. <laughs> okay. I mean, seriously, it's like, you know, take a poultice of cannabis and put it on your athlete's feet. Yeah, exactly. Right up. exactly. I mean, that's not happening. And so what it is, is that people are taking cell study and at best animal studies and trying to extrapolate yeah. this data, often at doses that human beings would never be exposed to yeah. and trying to extrapolate that to effects. And um, it's kind of nonsense. And so the thing I've been obsessed with for the last five or six years is trying to, excuse the term, weed out <laughs> the bad information so we can start to get a clearer picture of actually how the plant works in certain with certain entourages, certain combinations of chemicals to do certain things. Yeah. And what are the big ones? I mean, it, it, I don't know how hard or how complicated these get, but are there are there ones that really end up having kind of the big impact or, or, or controlling the, the bulk of the impact or the effect that it has on patients? Yeah, sure. THC. Okay. THC is potent. And, and everybody knows it works. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is that often people will ascribe effects to like terpenes when in fact what's being noticed is clearly the effects of THC. Yeah. On the other hand, 
people will say, oh my gosh, I feel so much better when I take CBD, when in fact they're taking doses so low that it may not be moving the needle at all. Yeah. So and is there so, a placebo effect? I mean, people are taking these yeah, things. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, 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 it is the placebo. But you got, what's really ironic is, is that we're starting to understand the mechanism of placebo effect. And the weird thing about that is, is that the mechanism of placebo effect seems to be mediated by the body's own endocannabinoid system. And, and so it's a really, really <laughs> weird thing because Interesting. it's saying like, you only see the mirror when you look in the mirror. And that's, it's like, it's kind of a paradox. Um, yeah. And what it means is that what we say about cannabis effects may profoundly influence the noted effects. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty strange. And it's really, really true when you look at CBD because people simply aren't taking doses that resemble anything that's been used in clinical trials yet. And what what are these doses levels? I mean, what are people typically taking now when they when they go and buy a, a CBD product? At- well, if there's anything in it, because the problem is the CBD <laughs> yeah. is really tough to keep in solution. And so often, if, if the company has not manufactured the CBD well, any CBD that was in there is sticking to the walls of the glass <laughs> so you got, you got to dig in and lick the inside of the glass yeah, to be able to actually I mean, get it. Yeah, really, get a, you know, like break the glass and then scrape the, the remaining <laughs> pieces with a razor blade and then take that CBD. I actually don't recommend that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be clear to the step, audience here. We don't want you to step, do that. Cut, cut fingers and splinters yeah. in your throat, you know. Huh. But the you look at these, um, like, for example, there's a famous study that was done in Brazil where they were looking at the effects of CBD on social anxiety. And um, the doses that were given to these people, because it was very effective, were 600 milligrams of CBD. Now, that would would typically do two things. One is you'd really feel it. You'd get what's called mental sedation, which means you'd be a little thick. Uh And lastly, a dose of CBD like that is going to, how do I put this delicately, increase the speed of bowel transit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, and so it could be problematic. Yeah. And, and, but people, you know, the thing about it is, is that people often buy a uh, bottle of CBD tincture where the whole bottle doesn't contain 600 milligrams. Yeah. yeah. Yet this is these are the doses that are routinely being used in clinical studies to look at the effects of CBD. So it's weird, you know, people take 15 milligrams, yet all the clinical research is done at 600 milligrams. And so the bottom line is we're getting an incomplete picture of how much CBD you need to get an effective result, at least from the clinical side. Yeah. So I guess what's the implication here from a consumer point of view is that you really need to be looking at higher dose CBD products or is this, you know, CBD starts to behave differently when you start combining it with other things and maybe it has, maybe you do have some kind of entourage effects or enhancing effects. That, that are beneficial or, or do have an impact? Well, I mean, you know, people have been noting effects from CBD at 2.5 milligrams for a long time. The question yeah. is, are those real? Well, and, yeah, exactly. and, I mean, I mean, I've had lots of people who take low-dose CBD and say they move better, they feel better, they have less anxiety, they have less yeah, maybe inflammation, that's good enough. Yeah. better. Yeah. But it isn't often supported by what we see in the lab. So it's a bit of a paradox. And it, it's one of the reasons, actually, that the FDA might help us a little bit here, or the National Institutes of Health might help us, because we definitely need more research. I think that's the real takeaway. Yeah, It's not so much that there's rampant fraud, but I think there's, um, we just don't know. there's something to learn. Yeah. And talk to us about the research. I mean, I know that, you know, because of, you know, the Schedule 1 listing as a uh, 
cannabis as a Schedule I uh, controlled substance, you know, has limited research, you know, historically. Now that we've got CBD, you know, on the farm bill and, you know, that some of that stuff is opening up, I guess, have you seen progress on the research side? Are we still kind of in this dearth of, of real scientific research? What would change that? I mean, what's your sense on Well, I mean, I think correcting? the floodgates have now opened, but there's a delay there. Okay, yeah. so what will happen is, is that there's an enormous amount of study uh, ongoing, but those results haven't been reported in yet. So we'll start to see them very shortly. I mean, I think that, but the thing is, is that the research community, when they design their experiments, are basing their protocols on what came before. And those doses, in the case of CBD, are often much higher than a person would be exposed to. Therefore, I don't know how good and applicable the research is going to be. We'll see. I hope we see these dose-ranging studies where you look at the kind of real-world use of CBD and scientists start to tease apart what's really happening at those doses. That'll be helpful. Yeah, no, I mean, it seems like, you know, that general research or, or general sort of more scientific knowledge in this industry is going to help all facets of it because we are, we're kind of, it's almost like we're flying blind <laughs> a little bit, right. you know, not, not really knowing what, what we're doing in some of these cases. Right, and that's why I started Perfect, because what I was trying to do, there's an enormous amount of talk about effects-based cannabis, where, you know, you take the right formulation of cannabis and you can get sleepy. You take the right formulation of cannabis and it can lift your mood. You take the right formulation of cannabis and it can help you focus and actually reduce distraction. You take the right dose of cannabis and formulation and it may make you more associational, more creative, yeah. able to come up with better ideas. And so that's what I started Perfect to do was start to deliver consistent effects to people it, uh, despite their their level of experience with the plant because you know you, you can't give the same dose to to somebody who's never tried cannabis as somebody who uses it daily yeah. because the body reacts to cannabis dose by um, adjusting the number of receptors that are available for the cannabis to interact with. Oh, interesting. Say that again. So as someone uses cannabis, there are actual cannabinoid receptors that are going to actually change the number or quality? Yeah, the density of them changes in, in the nervous system. And, and so what that makes it body. more, that makes you more or less sensitive to cannabis? <laughs> it, makes you, it makes you less sensitive. Got it. And so, you know, for years, there's been an, um, a poor understanding of cannabis dose. And so <laughs> cannabis dose became what you could withstand. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And that led to a lot of, you know, unfortunate reactions. I mean, people ought to be, oh, no, 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 I don't use cannabis. No, I, I tried in college and got way too high. Yeah. While they were smoking with people who were down-regulated, who yeah, had exactly. reduced receptor density, and therefore, you know, they got smoked under the table. And so what's great is you want to you wanna develop cannabis products and education on how to use them so that doesn't happen. I mean, it's a really fascinating thing about cannabis. And again, one of the reasons I started this company, Perfect, was to change the equation. 120 million people in, in the United States have used cannabis, but only about 25 million people use it today, which means there's a real revolving door. Yeah. You know, you use it when you're young, and then when you get serious, you put it aside. That's the, the common perception. Mm -hmm. And uh, not the case with alcohols. You know, over over 60% of the people who've ever used alcohol continue to use it. Yeah. So cannabis has a tough time keeping its customer base and I think one of the reasons is, is, is that these products are formulated so that they don't really provide a safety net so that you can have a dysphoric reaction when you take them. And so with the perfect product line, what I'm trying to do is deliver entourages to people mm -hmm. that kind of reduce the likelihood 
of adverse effects like anxiety. I mean, the interesting thing about cannabis is, is at low dose, it can reduce anxiety. At high dose, it can cause Yeah, anxiety. exactly. It's this weird kind of uh, flip-flop on the... Yeah, they call that biphasic effect. There's yeah. act, that's actually named in pharmacology. And so what, what we're doing with, with Perfect is we're doing formulations that use an entourage of cannabis compounds to kind of deliver a more targeted, consistent, and pleasant effect. I mean, we're not trying to scare anybody with our products. You know, I mean, yeah. if, 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 you know, 190 proof mezcal was the only alcoholic <laughs> beverage available, uh, I don't think you'd see commercials for it on the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm curious in terms of the products you're developing, what consumers or what segments you are focusing on? Are these people that are just getting into cannabis or these people that are regular cannabis users? And then tell me a little bit about the formulations that you put together. Yeah, so what's great is, is that we're actually... It's, they're broadly usable. So what you do is you control your dose, you control how much you take, but a novice can use them and somebody who's a regular user can enjoy them as well. And um, But what we've done is, again, we have a consistent safety net for that whole range of consumer. And so that when you try a small dose, you get a lighter version of the same effect. And when you take a, a larger dose, you get the same effect, just a little bit more intense. Yeah. But they all have, they taking these products shares a no hangover effect, the outcome that's on the bottle. And we have a product called uh, Happy Camper. Mm-hmm. And, um, and everybody who uses Happy Camper, it seems to get consistent mood elevation. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's what we used to call giggle weed. And um, while nightcap is, um, you know, winding down at the end of the day and getting restful sleep. Yeah. And I guess what are the, I mean, without giving away sort of your secret sauces, what what goes into these formulations that allow you to kind of dial in these experiences or these impacts? So different uh, cannabis cultivars produce different chemistries. Mm-hmm. And the ones I'm choosing to put in these blends are targeted at these specific outcomes. So I'm using a combination of terpenes and cannabinoids to deliver effects that people normally don't get. And the reason they don't normally get them is each cannabis plant is kind of bound by its genes. Mm -hmm. And so the cannabis plant, because of the genes that it inherits, often won't produce two terpenes together because those never show up because those genes never show up together. So, for example, limonene, which is a real common citrus-smelling terpene uh, or essential, and terpinolene, they don't show up together in the plant. But when you combine them, you get a really interesting effect. So you have to blend them to get that effect. And that that's <laughs> kind of a, a peek into the approach we're taking. We're looking at what the cannabis plant can produce and specifically choosing cultivars and blending them together so that when people inhale them, they get consistent outcomes. And it's worked really well. We've done a lot of consumer testing and it's right on the money right now. Yeah, it's, it's almost like a, like a master mixologist. You know the different pieces that show up in different you know, cultivars and then know, knowing how to combine them in unique ways to get, get these different differentiated effects. Right, and the plant changes crop to crop as far as the amount yeah. of these compounds that it produces. So you have to adjust that so when people buy a jar of our stuff, it's the same as the last jar they got. And yeah, it doesn't vary. And that's, that's fascinating. So, and how do you how do you manage that side of it? I mean, are you do you do your own growing? Are you working with particular growers? How do you? I'm working with particular growers. I use a, a good lab so okay. that they can characterize every crop, and then we can adjust the formulation for each batch 
so we get that consistency. Fascinating. And and how from a, a distribution and you know packaging and stuff like that. I mean, I know a lot of this when you're dealing with you know agricultural products, right? I mean, there's the the shelf life. The you know the plant is going to change, or you know you're going to have changes to the plant over time. How do you make sure that what you actually grow and process and, and produce in terms of your product actually gets to the customer, well, to the maybe, consumer? Maybe that's maybe that's the biggest insight we've had. Because what we realized is even though cannabis is a fragile product, Mm -hmm. it's not treated like a fragile product. And that's because until recently it was prohibited. Just getting the product was the big deal. But what we realized is a lot of these compounds are really fragile. And after the plant is harvested, unless certain things are done, they start to degrade really quickly. And the main thing is they're not kept cold. I mean, trust me. Pick a head of lettuce, okay, and and keep it at room temperature for six weeks and try to make a salad. Uh, Nobody will eat it. No. And and the thing is, is that – so one of the biggest things we learned with Perfect was keep things cold from the time it's harvested until the time it gets to you. Hmm. Our products will be kept cold in the store because – that helps us maintain the chemistry. Yeah. So we have some other little tricks we're doing to help maintain that chemistry. Yeah, I'm sure. Leveraging what the plant does itself to protect that chemistry. But the whole thing is, is that we have this process we call ultrafresh. And it's a, we have a patent pending on it, and we're really excited about its impact. Because for the first time, the average consumer will taste what cannabis is like if they were in the drawing shed right after harvest. Yeah. And because um, a couple of these compounds, uh, particularly ones like myrcene, the most common terpene in cannabis, it basically disappears within yeah. 70 days after harvest. Wow. And so while most people are told, oh, myrcene's a really important terpene, they they're never not getting it. <laughs> they, they never experienced it. It's yeah. gone by the time it's, it gets to them. Yeah. And the reason because cannabis is often indifferently handled and it really isn't treated like a perishable product. And trust me, the lab results show it's a really perishable product. I mean, THC and CBD, they're pretty sturdy. But these terpenes, these essential oils are really delicate. That's why you smell them. They're coming off the plant. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the one thing, you know, you you find a bag of weed in your drawer and you smell it. And if anything, it smells a little bit like hay. Yeah. And it smells nothing like it did when it was harvested. And what we're trying to deliver is that real fresh harvested experience that we call ultra fresh. Awesome. Awesome. I'm curious as you've kind of uh, built out your business, what are some of the other challenges or, or things that have come up that you've had to overcome in terms of really being able to do this, you know, cr- create a, a product you can really take to market in a consistent way, you know, in a way that's going to deliver the experience you want for consumers? I mean, I think the biggest thing is getting control of the supply chain. Mm-hmm. So the, the thing is, if you're going to sell caviar, you know, you don't store it in a hot warehouse. Um, it's, it's like, <laughs> and the thing is, if we're, we're trying to sell the, the best cannabis experience, we really have to know how it's being treated at every step from the farm to the consumer. And, um, and so that's, that's been the biggest challenge. You know, we have to be fast and we have to be cold. Everything has to be cold. And so that that poses a lot of challenges, but it's working. So we think uh, when we launch in February, we think we're going to be able to deliver the promise. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I mean, tell me about what else you kind of see in the industry at this point. Where where do you think this market's going? I mean, I, I certainly think the kind of the higher end, the premium, you know, products have... 
you know, some interesting strategic value as you know as this market develops, and you know, potentially as uh, we run into kind of different regulatory situations and structures, and the particularly in the U.S. here. What um, I mean, what do you see as being kind of the the advantage or the strategy of focusing on this part of the market, and what do you think is going to happen with the cannabis market in general as as things change? Well, I mean, I think that our company is one of the first kind of real post prohibition approaches to cannabis. I think that just like alcohol, I mean, we're going to take people from, you know, moonshine in jars <laughs> yeah. to Macallan, and there's a big difference. And so, you know, just like in alcohol or in wine, high-end techniques and looking at how you optimize the experience that the plan is creating and actually get that experience to the consumer becomes the first big shift. And so right now we're seeing a lot of derivative products. So we're seeing products that are easy to use, like vaporizers, but aren't necessarily always the highest quality products. Okay, it's like, um, you know, I I look at vape pens as hot dogs. There are really good hot dogs out there. Okay, (laughs) but but the thing is, is that it's highly processed and not particularly often well-preserved. And if it is preserved, you don't actually want what they're using to preserve it. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think there's, there's a more, you know, I'm, I'm skipping, basically, I'm skipping the supermarket and going directly to a Whole Foods high-end food model. Yeah. And, uh, and I want to deliver the freshest, most complete experience. And I think that the industry's just been focused on delivering an experience yeah. rather than a highly targeted one. Yeah, no, I just I, I see so much of the kind of the business focus on how, how do I create as much THC as high as possible, as fast as possible, you know, just to kind of deliver the kind of the raw the raw high experience, not not really looking at more of the craft. Right. I mean, the, the, way, I, market. the way to describe it is it's like uh, you know getting cocktail tips from a drunk under a bridge. I think that the underground has not necessarily provided the best advice, yeah. and the money came in and took that advice and helped make products based on potency rather than actual effects. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, the thing is, is that um, a lot of these products today, it's like speed eating fudge. All right. The first couple of bites are really interesting. And then you're like, (laughs) it took me a second to like put myself in that mindset, but I get it. Yeah, And it's, it's just like, yeah, it's too much. And so these highly concentrated products really have a rather restricted appeal. And that's not the point. The point is not to get as much drug as possible into you, but get the amount of the drug that actually gives you the outcome you're looking for. And again, you know, people haven't really looked at it that way. Any, any particular kind of things that you're watching in terms of the regulatories or kind of the structural aspect of the market here that you think are going to have a big impact on you or or the business in general? Well, I mean, I think that that the liberalization of cannabis laws has got to come on a federal level. And I think that interstate transport also encourages interstate research. And I think that that's going to be really interesting because you're going to start to see much more of a a rich, robust conversation about designing cannabis products that right now is a little bit haphazard. I mean, you know, I can't just ship a sample I'm working on to Colorado today and say, what do you think? You really have to go jump through a lot of hoops. I mean, this idea that, you know, you can't make an omelet across state lines, all right, uh, is really problematic. (laughs) And I think that when that is solved, I think that you're going to see the pace of innovation uh, pick up 
you know, I picked California to, to launch our product because it's the biggest market. Yeah. And so I can I can really test it on a lot of different people and I can have a lot of bright people look at it and give me tips on how to make it better. Yeah, that makes sense. This has been a pleasure. Michael, if people want to find out more about you, more about Perfect, what's the best way to get that information? Well, they can draw me a line at, today at uh, Michael at perfect-blends.com and we'll start the conversation and I'll send you links to our uh, our website and uh, and more information as you need it. Awesome. I'll make sure that that is uh, in the show notes so people can click through and get that. Thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been a great conversation. I always love talking with people who are passionate about the plant, are knowledgeable at the plant, and are, are doing interesting and innovative things in the space. So thanks for taking the time. Hey, thanks, Bruce. It was really fun. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, Download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter.